Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching, sermons from New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. Please subscribe so that you don't miss a Sunday. Matthew chapter 7, we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. And so just a reminder as we get started, just to call our attention to Jesus' purpose in preaching this. He's introduced a a new kingdom that he has come to inaugurate. Um, More recently, we've seen him draw sort of a line in between the things and philosophies of this world and, and then the things, uh, what it means to love and participate in the things in the kingdom of God. And so we should find this passage no different in establishing that difference. And like our previous topics, we'll see how Christians, how we are to relate to God and namely this morning, in his judgment. So Matthew chapter 7, we'll be reading the first six verses, and I welcome you to stand with me as we read from God's word this morning. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what Measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Lord, we, we come to you this morning in your word. And Lord, we ask your help. Lord, you promise us your spirit and by your spirit understanding. Father, I pray that we experience your grace in this message, even in the context of judgment. Lord, help help just mold us into the image of Christ. Help us to be become righteous in your sight. Lord, that we be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself, that you would reveal the way we are to be, that we could be pleasing to you. Lord, that we would be a church accountable to your word and to your spirit and to one another in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you guide our study, that you guide my words, that you guide our hearts and worship even now as we sit under your word 
Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Judge not that ye be not judged. Has anyone heard that before? Amen. It's pretty popular, uh, especially in our day. This passage is paralleled in Luke 6, but this, this passage, that well, the initial passage, judge not that ye be not judged, has become the most quoted passage of Scripture today. It's replaced John 3.16 that famous passage, For God so loved the world. Now, even on the lips of nominal Christians, will readily quote to you, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And so I think that that, I think that, that tells us a little bit about our culture or our philosophy, maybe even within the church, if we have shifted from knowing and understanding John 3.16 to now being ready uh, in a moment to produce Matthew 7.1. Now we know that if it's mentioned even one time in the scripture, it's true. Not only is it true, but it's authoritative. And so that's why we're forced to, when we come to any matter in Scripture, it doesn't matter how difficult or hard it is for us, we've got to wrestle with that and see what, what God's Word uh, means and is and how it's applied to our lives. And so this one, it, it, we can't discount this in any way. It must be true. But I also think that we'll come to realize today that much of the time this scripture is quoted and used, it's absent of any biblical context. It's driven well-known pastors like Paul Washer to, to rebuke those who use it, who say, judge not lest ye be judged. It almost angers him when he says, twist not scripture lest ye be like Satan. That's bold. But I want for us to walk carefully through this so that we can understand and be confident in what God calls us to be. How, how we can be faithful to this passage, judge not that ye be not judged, and really see how much more Jesus is revealing the kingdom and the nature of God in his teaching here. And I think the Lord will be faithful to even our prayers in, in, in granting us understanding in this. And so first, there's an outline uh, like normal on the back of the bulletin. You'll be able to follow along. It's the same outline I'm using, a few fill in the blanks there. And the easy part of this is judge not. Verses 1 and 2, judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it will be measured to you again. So this is simple. And if anything, this is the primary illusion of, of the way in which this is quoted. Uh, you know, judge not that ye be not judged. It, this is probably the most accurate that our, our world and culture sees this. Is that simply avoiding judgment is safe. Avoiding judgment is safe. 
You see, we don't, whenever we refrain from judging people, it keeps us from setting ourselves up on that throne of judgment that belongs to only God. And so it's safe for us. It's a, it's a place where we keep from usurping his personal rule in every situation. We believe in a God that's in control, that's sovereign, that is just in his judgment. And so we don't need, we don't need to take place of that. And so there's a certain amount of safety that we're granted in simply just not, just removing ourselves from pronouncing any judgments. But that is not enough to understand this scripture. What is it that makes this so safe for us? First, we come to realize, we need to come to realize our guilt. That is that next little sub-point. We realize our guilt. In Romans 14, 12 through 13, Paul says that everyone will give an account of himself to God. And he says, let us not therefore judge anyone anymore. And so you see, we, we've all sort of got this criminal record, so to speak, before God. And so we need to realize, though we've been purified, and we're going to walk through this. This is very gospel-oriented. But when we realize our guilt, our actual guilt before God, then we know that this makes us ill-equipped to judge someone. We're pardoned by the blood of Christ, not because of some righteousness of our own or any works that we do. And so because of our guilt, we know we're unfit to judge other people. We see this. We experience it. I mean, we hear stories and we wince whenever we read of judges or, or justices within our, our own government or, or something that are immoral or that commit crimes. And we wince because we realize, man, this person is disqualified. How can they judge someone whenever they themselves are evil or sinful or criminal in their behavior? It's absurd. This is perfectly consistent with, with the Christian life because again, to look to Romans again, Paul talks about in Romans 2, which is often misquoted as well, but, but Paul talks about how this is the place where uh, he really shows us how every person is, is condemned by the law. And the reason he knows this to be true is because we even in our own understanding pronounce judgments over others. We understand moral rights and moral wrongs. And yet we're guilty of what we judge others for. And so we're condemned even by ourselves. But it shows us that, hey, we, we, are, we can't pronounce these judgments on anyone without condemning ourselves at the same time. We are not just judges we are guilty, and really this is a matter of hypocrisy. Whenever we come to judge someone, we easily become hypocrites. This is why it's safe, safe to simply not judge. And so we look to God's mercy. Not, not only does this become a focus for us when we look to God's mercy, but we also see how we are called to reflect the nature of God. And so that next one is, whenever we don't judge, 
It's safe for us because we're guilty, but also because we're called to dispense godly mercy. James, which a while back we studied through James, James really goes through a similar vein of thought talking about not judging and he concludes in chapter 2, 12, and 13 that mercy rejoiceth over judgment. This, this is very much attached to the God that we worship, that we want to understand. And it's interesting because even, even as we've studied through the Sermon on the Mount, we've come to realize that as we're applying these teachings and how we are to behave, at the end of it all, we're called to reflect Christ, to be like Him, to take on the nature of God. That's part of this transformation that we undergo. We mimic our God and Savior. And so He gives mercy where it's not deserved, but this isn't where the teaching stops. You see, where this is almost daily quoted for us, it's, it can be found on Facebook any day of the week, Maybe it's one of those passages on a t-shirt or, or a meme. I've even seen some pretty creative tattoos, you know. That's not judge or only God can judge me. And whenever we see this, this person acts as if, well, judgment in and of itself is sinful. Perhaps even God is sinful in His judgment. They don't act like a person. You can try this. Maybe a lot of people nodded their heads and things and said they'd heard this quoted. Maybe the next time you hear it quoted, see if the person acts as if even God can judge them. Because if, if they said, oh, judge not lest ye be judged, no judgment come upon me, because if they, that person realized God was going to judge them for that sin or issue, whatever was the, the, the concept or concern at that moment, well, then they would repent. Instead, so often, we find that they act as if no one can judge me. Or they come to identify themselves apart from the, the church, the body of Christ, apart from being a child of God. And we'll see why that is here a little bit, here, here soon. Hopefully. And I believe that in this, we see when we're looking at Christ's described judgment to us, we see a little bit of a little bit greater detail of the character of God in this following example. He's clearly applying this teaching to us and what we are to do with it, but we see even the nature of God. Let's just continue through the passage. Tells us not to judge. It says we'll be judged in the same way that we're judged. Now here's the way of judgment he's talking about. Why beholdest thou the mote that's in your brother's eye and considerest not the beam in your own eye? How will you say to your brother, let me pull the mote out of thine eye and behold, a beam is in thine own. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye and you'll see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. And so... Really, we're seeing sort of how the judgment of God works. Amen. When we give respect to Scripture, when we take this in context of what Jesus is saying, we see that He, he doesn't leave judgment undone. He doesn't stop there and say, judge not, end of, end of story, end of sentence. 
he actually gives us an example of correct judgment. And so, just walking through this, we've already discussed our, our incapacity to judge comes from, at least in part, because of our guilt. And so for us, we need to first, in casting out the, the beam from our own eye, first, primarily, initially, looking at ourselves inwardly, we see that we need to, are called to trade hypocrisy for purity. That's that, that next fill in the blank. We trade hypocrisy for purity. And so I can remember, just, I don't know, has anybody ever had anything in their eye before? Oh my goodness. Please let me know that I'm not one of the more un, un, unfortunate ones here. I've had gasoline in my eye. It's bad one, thinner, and different things. But one of the more memorable ones for me was back in the days, remember I welded on the night shift at the shipyard, and, uh, and I always took very good care to avoid any arc flash or anything. I took very good care of my eyes. But this time... Something happened, I don't know, grinding or something, but I, I managed to get a, a metal bird lodged in my eye that would have to be ground out, you know, with the eye doctor. Uh, not, not a very pleasant experience. Needless to say, I was of no use. My eyes were of no use in welding whatever they had out there. That, that was my primary tool. I mean, you can say anything else, but my eyes, a welder, your eyes are your primary tool. Yeah, Gary knows. And I was of no use. And I wasn't going to be of any use until I got this thing pulled out of my eye. When it wasn't pulled, it was ground out. So the listener of this sermon under Jesus is called to address your own being, to remove your own sin. Maybe to correct your relational negligence with Christ. Maybe you simply neglect this relationship. Whatever it is, you're called to not be a hypocrite. I feel like we've dealt with this over the course of time. It's everywhere in Scripture to turn from this hypocrisy and find purity in Christ. We're not, we don't speak out of both sides of our mouth. We're not a, you know, a, a, uh, we're not inclined to this rebellion or to and fro. We're called to steadfast purity as we fixate on Christ. And so this purity then brings clarity. It just goes without saying when you pull the splinter out of your eye, you're going to see better. It makes perfect sense. Once we've attended to our own ailments, we're better able to attend to others' afflictions. This is a two-way street though. Because not only do I need the moat out of my or the beam out of my eye before I address the moat in someone else's, but daggone it, I want somebody else's eyes clear before they address the splinter in my eye. I certainly want that doctor who's going to take an algae brush to my eyeball to have his eyes very in very good shape and clear of all obstruction because I like my eyes. They're very important to me. And so that's a two-way street. We need this clarity whenever it comes to revealing something so fragile or intimidating as our own faults. So consider this. Maybe, maybe this is why your comments have been ill-received. 
uh, whenever you try to correct someone. If you're a slob of a husband and lazy in your task of discipleship in the home, you might think twice about rebuking your wife for her lack of submission. She's going to tell you to get out of here. Maybe, maybe this causes us problems in our parenting whenever our children see our lack of diligence within the home. This is something we need to consider. We need to make sure that we are very clear that others can see our devotion, our purity, and our attachment to Christ before we try to judge in some right way. We cannot be the hypocrite. But we're not left to simply worry about ourselves, get the mode out, but we're equipped. Whenever we clear, when you, so was, that was purity, but now we have clarity. Now we can see things. We're, we can handle these. When we walk with Christ, we're better informed to the will of God in the lives of those around us. We're better informed to how to parent our children or how to treat our spouse. We need this clarity. It reveals something to us. This is why we get, we, we get so distraught, increasingly so. The closer we get in our walk with God, I, it seems the pattern is that we get more disturbed with our sin. Is that true in your life? Amen. We see it. There's a clarity. God is bringing about a purity through Christ. It brings a clarity. It's why... Not just we get more upset with the sin in our own life, but we get more discontented with the sinful world around us. Amen? Amen? This happens. We've got a clarity. But also notice, friends, when the, when the husband then is diligent in repentance, he is bold in love, and he is devoted in discipling his children and his family, this whole task of building up his home, this, now this man is equipped to now bless and, and, and treat his wife or his children or any of these splinters. He can pull them out because he has clarity. He can see those to pull them out and, and to help those around him by removing their splinters. And so... The parent who's diligent, does doing everything is unto the Lord, they're better able to remove those afflictions of laziness and disorganization and sin in the lives of their children. And so we see then the clarity allows for accountability. That's that final way in the, in the looking at the judgment of God. This level of clarity, it gives us an ability to see clearly and it brings about this process of accountability. To, to one another or even, even before Christ, Christians are edified in this process. See how Christ said, who, who, whose eye was the mote in that we're addressing? Brother. Brother. When you look at your brother, he is talking within the context, I think, of the church. He's speaking to those who would believe. This isn't even, he's really not even addressing just the world out there. 
He's not talking about just people or the world avoiding judgment. Judge not lest ye be judged. That's not the concern at all. But the concern is in our desire, our goal is to see repentance. To see repent, personal repentance. To guide repentance in each other's life is a continual building up. We don't postpone judgment. But we work together in love in order to expunge sin from the church, from the life of the believer. This is a lot like I'm, you know, I'm reminded of John 8 whenever Jesus redeems Mary from being stoned. We remember that story, right? Let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. We see judgment averted. Okay, judge not lest ye be judged. You know, guys, hey, if you have sin, judge her sin at the same level you judge your sin. Makes sense. But he didn't stop. You see, he looked at Mary and effectually brought purity. And he said this, he said, go forth and sin no more. He achieved a, a purity and an accountability and he drew her along conforming her to the image of Christ. That's the, this is that accountability. And so it's interesting now we're beginning to see that this passage that so often is used to fend off judgments. Don't, don't talk about me. Don't tell me where I'm wrong. This, the context in which we see this passage is actually happening where, where he's teaching about right church discipline. That's ironic, isn't it? And so he calls us to this purity. Well, he, he does more than call us to it. He equips us for purity and accountability within the church. And so judgment, to some extent, builds up and edifies, and it occurs within the church. We shouldn't, he says, judge not lest you be judged, but he tells us, clear your eye and then address the splinter in the other eye. This is why Peter, 1 Peter 4.17 says, it's time for the judgment to begin with the house of God. It comes now and he says, what will become of those who do not obey the gospel? Because in the church, we judge now. Why? Because we have judgment by the mercy of God, by the love of Christ. And an accountability. You have judgment by brothers and sisters who know the way you're suffering because they are in need of repentance too. And we have people that must lead it by example for us. That can receive us in grace. That's the sort of judgment I want actually. I don't want to wait on the judgment that comes by way of the wrath of God. And you see how dangerous it is then to say, oh, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. You're saying, I'll wait. I'll wait on that eternal and wrathful judgment. That's not the one who says, oh, thank you, brother, for calling me out of my sin that I can experience the grace of God, that my judgment has occurred within the love of the body of Christ and the work of Christ and the blood of Christ. And there is no judgment to come in the hereafter. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because He's received us. We've received the judgment already. 
Because we have the opportunity to love one another, to receive you and say, brother, look, I know you've sinned. Me too. Come in and let us pursue Christ together. Amen. Isn't that a better judgment? Isn't that the side? Isn't that the judgment of God that we want to receive? And so what do we make of those outsiders? So now I feel like We've already sort of touched on that. There's some natural implications maybe in your mind. You see there's a separation. There seems to be a difference between those that are judged lovingly, accountably, within the church, looking at their own sin and purity, not in a hypocritical way, not in a commandeering way, but by grace and love. And then there's something else of the outsiders. And there is a difficult passage that we're forced to handle in verse 6 as we look at worldly judgment. After talking about all of this, all this accountability and things and purity, how we are to judge without hypocrisy, Jesus says, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. There is a harsh reality of the separation between the people of God in those people of the world. This term dogs is one that's used even by Christ later on in the gospel in chapter 15. And he uses it of the Canaanite woman who, who, who comes. She's not a Jew. She comes for healing before the time of the Gentiles. And he says it's not fit you know, to, to give the things of the children to dogs. You know, and we see her faith. He still blesses and makes her whole. And so... But dogs is that term that's used often. We see in Philippians uh, 3, 2 and Revelations 22, 15, it's used of evildoers, unbelievers, and even Jews who worked against the gospel. So these, these dogs are to be avoided altogether. We're not, we're not casting these, these judgments upon them. But what are the pearls? If we say these are the people who are opposed to the gospel, who seem to work against the grace and love and purity and accountability and transformation and renewal and new life that comes in the gospel, what are the pearls that we don't cast them out? I feel like Jesus is consistent. He talks about this in a parable in Matthew 13. And he, he says... Talking about the kingdom of God, he says the kingdom of God is like you know, a man who finds these pearls of extravagant worth and he sells all that he has in order to go and buy these pearls. So clearly, one, if Christ is consistent at all, which we talked about in Sunday school, Scripture does not contradict itself. Clearly, Jesus is talking about things of the kingdom. His whole sermon has been about things of the kingdom. I'm bringing in a new kingdom. Here's what the kingdom is going to be like. Here's what the people of the kingdom are going to be like. Here's how they're going to behave. Now don't cast these things of the kingdom before those who are opposed to the kingdom. It makes sense. We've already heard the difficulty that comes whenever we read this morning in Proverbs 9. How the correction of fools, those outside, it's, it's not well received and it can even bring harm you can jot down proverbs 23 9 for extra reference in short those who are not the children of god born of the faith 
They're not receptive. They're not even able to be edified by these truths. Let, let me put it in these words. Do not think that anyone can come into the graces of God apart from relationship to God in Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. Don't think that anyone can come into the graces of God apart from relationship to God in Jesus Christ. It's in relationship to Jesus Christ that we receive these graces. There certainly is a judgment to come. One of the wonderful things about, about God and is that he, provide, he does achieve a purity. Think of this. Look, God wouldn't be just, would He? If He said, you're a sinner, I'm not going to punish you. That's not just. He pays the penalty, but He does more than that. He equips us by His Spirit and He, he makes us into a new person. We're born of the Spirit, the Scriptures tell us. We're completely new. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. There's fruits of the Spirit. There's all this new stuff that occurs in the life of the believer so that when that day comes, everyone praises God and says, look, you haven't just, you haven't just not judged someone. That's not righteous. What you've done is you've paid the penalty. That is merciful, but you know what's really great is that you made this person to actually be righteous because of Christ. There's a work that occurs in us. And so there's still implications, a couple things I want to touch on as we wrap things up here. And that's looking at being careless with God's blessing. This is the way of the, the world, and it's also a warning for us not, not to be so careless with God's blessing. We can't treat the things in the grace of God as the universalist does. Big, big, uh, big preachers that, that have found great success, Rob Bell is a good example that has come to say, this is where everyone ends up. There is no judgment of God, essentially. He, he, he just renders hell completely absent or ineffective one. The reality is, is that the gospel is specific on who and how it saves. Who and how does the gospel save? Well, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Not anyone who does not believe in Jesus Christ or someone who faithfully believes in their church or in their baptism or in their personal faith. No, but whoever believes in Jesus. We are grounded in Christ. And so we as a church have got to stop selling this cheap gospel. We don't peddle some, some uh, system of traditions to unbelievers trying to get them to behave as Christians. It doesn't work that way. We don't peddle traditions and, and religiosity or something we're, we're, we're past that, and, and, and it's safe to say in our era, it, we don't suffer for traditional Christianity anymore. It's not cool anymore. And we, not, we don't need to sell it as that. We need to sell out to Christ. If we're so careless, if we're so haphazard with that gospel, if it's anything other than that, we risk becoming like those pigs who care so little for the kingdom to begin with. And so we don't need to be careless with the gospel in how we present it and how we live it. The second implication is worldly judgment. 
So whenever we look to judge outside the church, whenever we're judging unbelievers or trying to sort of heap up condemnation and usurping the throne in this way, this, this worldly judgment incurs destruction. And I do want us to see this. It's plain. Those dogs and pigs who despise the gospel, who refuse to allow the grace of God to bring about true transformation in our lives, they're obviously not in relationship with God. They're not considered saved. They're certainly not, not given any part in the kingdom. Those who call themselves Christian but handle the gospel this way, loosely, they treat it as like a take it or leave it proposition. They're in danger of being destroyed like those who have never even tasted grace of God. We don't need to be careless. We need to understand And, and you know, I'm confident that if you have come to know a true relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, you're not going to handle it so loosely. You're going to know this is a life or death situation. As a matter of fact, you're going to be gripped tightly by the Spirit of God. And I think you're going to grip tightly the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that if you know this, that, that it's true. You're going to know that we don't go out with people and say, uh, well, you need to get right with God first. That's not what this message says. Or that we go out and we say, well, this person is not, they're condemned. They've got to be going to hell. That's not our job. We, what we have is a gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. We know there is no one beyond the reach or the, the sufficiency of Christ. He's able to save all, but it brings about a very real salvation. We are actually justified. We are made to be righteous through a process. It does not mean that we're without sin. But there's something heavy here because that gospel is revolutionary. It changes everything. We have got to realize people around us desperately need this. There's no life without it. Everyone around you is affected. They cannot afford to be, to be without Christ. And we're the ones God has entrusted to take this message to them. We're the ones God has entrusted to even correct the confused church or Christians out there, if they somehow think that they can accept Jesus and then nothing changes, don't judge me, only God can judge me, they're confused. They're, they're like saying, yeah, I'll take the gospel. It's like getting a present saying, yes, thank you, and never opening it. It doesn't make any sense. Or even to see and know the grace of God and to say, yep, but I'm not going to put that to use. We've all had those Christmas presents or something like that or someone gives us a gift and we set it on the shelf and it never gets used. Not, we, we've got to quit treating the gospel that way. And so we're left understanding these people. We're not trying to correct sinful actions, but we're coming to realize people are enslaved there. And there's only one person who can free them. That's Jesus Christ. And, and we need to consider, how are we judging things? 
Are we judging things of the world? Are we of the world just looking superficially, wanting people to act or behave a certain way simply for that with a, a gospel with no Jesus? Or, or are we taking the gospel of Jesus Christ that achieves a purity on our behalf but brings about a transformation, real change? There's a, are we careless? Are we peddling a counterfeit gospel that makes demands for traditions and moralism? Or are you sharing Christ that changes everything? We've already studied he brings purity of heart, clarity of understanding, and an accountability within the church. <clears throat> Lord, there's a lot that weighs on our conscience. As we consider your word, we can't help but realize, yeah, we're sinful. And so it seems impossible to us to try to, to judge righteously. This is so confusing in some ways. Yet, Lord, you teach us. Here in this Sermon on the Mount, you teach us. That, that you do call a pure church, that you allow a judgment that does not consist of condemnation, that there is a judgment that is actually one and the same with the grace that you provide. Lord, help us to be a church that would change the image of the body of Christ, that we wouldn't be a people that are haughty or people that are holier than thou, but that we would be a people who receive the sinners of the community, who let them know that, that Jesus has come, that he's paid the penalty, but he's given us a way that we're, we're no longer enslaved to sin. Lord, that we're a people instead of struggling every week with our sin as if we can't get away from it, Lord, that we would submit to Christ, that we, we would be a body of Christ that looks to our brother and sister and says, look, there's grace to be had. That you're free from this sin. I can bear this burden with you. We can help you to be rid of this evil that tears you down and breaks your conscience week in and week out. Help us to be the kind of church that looks at ourselves and pursues purity in Christ. That looks at our brothers and sisters, Lord, that we wouldn't come to church with blinders on, not even caring about people around us and how they're suffering even amidst ongoing sin. But Lord, that you would bring about accountability, that we would love each other, that we would offer grace, that we would accept this accountability. Lord, that we would experience a true unity of spirit, that we would experience your spirit. 
Lord, that we would experience Christ Himself in whom no sin dwells. Lord, I pray that you would move amidst this people. And we know this is going to take a work of your hands. That you would teach us how we are to do, do this, how we are to be the church. Lord, let us not divorce your grace from your judgment. Lord, we depend upon you in applying this, making it real. Lord, in allowing us to experience Christ in our daily lives. That you just continue working in the hearts of people here as we enter into song. If anyone doesn't know this grace, Lord, that they would come in now, Lord, that they would be well received. There is a kind judgment of God that happens within the church. A judgment that brings repentance, that shows grace. Lord, I pray that we would experience this, this very difficult passage accurately, faithfully. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Preaching, sermons from New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in discipleship, grow in relationship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. Please subscribe so that you don't miss a Sunday.